Welcome back. This is Sam. And this is Kareem, and we are two OncDocs. In this week's episode, we'll be focusing on syndromes of iron overload and go over important details on hemochromatosis as well as other related diseases. Great. I know that there will be there will definitely be iron overload questions on heme ITs as well as your hematology boards. Um, so I do think this is a high yield topic to go over. And there's some simple things that you guys should memorize, and you guys can ace those questions if you come across them. So to start us off, how is iron stored in our bodies? So the human body stores iron in the form of ferritin and hemosiderin in the liver, spleen, bone marrow, duodenum, and muscle. And it also exists bound to hemoglobin in circulating red blood cells, as well as bound to transferrin in plasma. And then the problem with the buildup of iron is we don't have a good way to excrete it actively, but we do lose it through desquamation of cells and for premenopausal women through menstruation. So in iron overload, you have an excess amount of storage iron, which is stored in the liver, the heart, the pancreas, macrophages or phages, however you say it, spleen and bone marrow. Definitely. So I think of iron um, as storage as a closed box. You can take it in, but we can't get rid of it. Um, so iron overload is a real problem. And where we store iron, where Kareem listed the liver, the heart, the pancreas, the macrophages, the spleen, the bone marrow, obviously that's going to be where we see the toxicities of iron overload that I know we will talk about. And so what conditions um, cause iron overload? So there are some conditions in where you have a decreased hepcidin. So those are the ones with the HFE or hemochromatosis mutations, those with transferrin receptor or TRF2 mutations, those with the HJV mutation. So that's hemojuvalin hemochromatosis. And then those with the HAMP or hepcidin hemochromatosis mutations. And then there are also conditions in where you have mutations in the ferroportin gene, which is FPN1. And those are similar to hemochromatosis, but in those you have a low transferrin saturation rather than a high one. And then you also have a high hepcidin. And then you can also have conditions that cause iron overload, like sickle cell in which you have ineffective erythropoiesis. Uh, patients that get multiple transfusions can end up with iron overload. And then there are also other conditions like liver disease, the absence of seriloplasmin, uh, and then African dietary iron overload, which is also known as Bantu syndrome. Definitely. So I think it's important for everyone to listen to those, make a list, and then start, you know, filling in the gaps of the details of each of those mutations, where they are in the iron absorption or the negative feedback loops of how we regulate iron in our body. And so what is the clinical mass manifestations of iron overload? So you can have fatigue, abdominal pain, you can have elevated LFTs. Usually the ALT will be more elevated than the AST. And then those patients with liver iron overload can have liver fibrosis and then eventually cirrhosis and also be at risk for HCC or hepatocellular carcinoma. You can also have heart failure, which can be restrictive or dilated. And this can also lead to arrhythmias. You can have diabetes, amenorrhea, you can have hyperpigmentation, arthritis, as well as a, a risk of certain infections. Definitely. I think that they'll probably give you at least one or two of those um, indicators in your vignettes on your board's day. And screening for iron overload syndromes, how do we do it? So you, you can have a family history or compatible clinical picture. And for those patients that have those concerning features and a, ser a serum ferritin of more than a thousand, you could be concerned and also be aware that ferritin can be elevated for other reasons. So it's an acute phase reactant. So conditions like HLH or infection or inflammation, the ferritin can also be elevated. 
And so an elevated ferritin is not always a slam dunk hemochromatosis. Often the transferrin saturation will be elevated in hemochromatosis, generally over 45% in males or over 40% in females. And this may precede the high ferritin. I feel like the transferrin saturation question comes up a ton in both the internal medicine as well as the hemoc boards. And then if your suspicion is high enough, then you can check the PCR for hemochromatosis mutations. And then in terms of the ideal age to perform screening, that has not yet been determined. Some suggest deferring until adulthood because then an individual can give informed consent and then iron cells are not expected to be that high until later in life, depending on the type of hemochromatosis. Agreed. I definitely think that everyone needs to commit to memory that ferritin is an acute phase reactant. Um, so a high ferritin, like you said, is not slam dunk for iron overload. It can be elevated for other reasons. And then also that transferrin saturation. I definitely know we've had multiple questions, both in internal medicine and on our hematology boards um, and ITEs about transferrin saturation being elevated. And so how do we diagnose iron overload conditions? So liver biopsy is the gold standard, and that can quantify hepatic iron, and they do a Prussian blue stain in order to see iron staining granules. You can also do MRI measurement of the hepatic or cardiac iron, and then if the iron is more than two to three milligrams per gram of dry weight, this confirms iron overload. Exactly. I think on, maybe it was our IETE, um, they showed you a picture of a pressure blue stain and then they wanted you to already connect the dots that you're looking for iron overload. And then the question was about treatment. Um, so don't ever be surprised if they, you know, they want you to connect the dots by showing you a stain or a blood smear on your heme boards. And so what is the classic triad for hemochromatosis HFE? So you can have hepatomegaly, diabetes, and hyperpigmentation. And so before patients were screened, and this was prevented, patients died from cirrhosis, HCC, or heart failure, and HFE hemochromatosis is autosomal recessive. Great. And so what are the HFE defects? So the most common mutations are C282Y or H6C3D, and the C282Y mutation is on chromosome 6, and it's common in North European, it's known as the Celtic disease. And... You can have incomplete C2Y2A2Y penetrance, and that leads to less organ damage. And then those with the H63D mutation have very little overloading compared to the 6282Ys. And so how do we manage patients who are confirmed diagnosed with hemochromatosis? So patients now can have a normal life expectancy if phlebotomy is started before the onset of cirrhosis or diabetes. And it's important to know that heterozygotes for C2A2Y generally do not require phlebotomies. And then, so if the ferritin is less than 1,000 in someone with hemochromatosis and you have normal LFTs at diagnosis, you can do a phlebotomy. But if it's more than 1,000 and you have abnormal LFTs, you should definitely consider a liver biopsy. And it's important to screen for HCC and other complications that I mentioned earlier, like diabetes, hypothyroidism, hypogonadism, osteoporosis. Those with cirrhosis or HCC may be considered for liver transplantation. And then if you have neonatal hemochromatosis, you may need IVIG prophylaxis. I feel like this was a question at some point. Um, and again, important to screen family members. Definitely. So I think it's important to diagnose these patients and treat them before you have that end organ damage. So I think that's the big message um, for the treatment for HFE now. And are HFE patients at risk for any types of infections? Yes. So you may remember this from your USMLE days. And so they are risk of infection from siderophilic organisms, such as listeria, 
Yersinia, and Vibrio. So it is recommended for patients to avoid the consumption of uncooked seafood. <laughs> so this buzzword still comes to mind. I think it was a vignette of someone went down to Florida and had oysters. They didn't know they had HFE and it was this, you know, rip roaring liver failure. So they will give you some clear cut buzzwords in, in that kind of vignette. So you guys should definitely know about the um, Vibrio for uncooked seafood. Um, so what are the targets for phlebotomy in HFE? So the goal is to remove one to two units weekly if the hematocrit is over 35% in males or 32% in females. Usually this is done over two or more hours and patients should be instructed to stay well hydrated and avoid vigorous exercise. And the goal is to maintain a serum ferritin under 50. Some centers allow the therapeutic phlebotomy blood to be donated into the blood bank general donor pool, although some centers do not permit it. So that's just kind of a interesting factoid. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And what other genetic forms do we need to be aware of? So I mentioned you can have a a mutation in the transferrin receptor or TRF2. This is also autosomal recessive and those patients develop manifestation in their 30s usually. You can also have juvenile hemochromatosis, which is when you have mutations in either hemojuvalin or HJV or hepcidin, HAMP, H-A-M-P. And usually they'll give you a vignette where someone has hemochromatosis before the age of 30, and they usually have very severe clinical manifestations, and it's also autosomal recessive. And then mutations in ferroportin disease is autosomal dominant instead of autosomal recessive. And it has a similar presentation to hemochromatosis, but here you have a low transferrin saturation, not high. And then you also have a high hepcidin. So they might give you those labs. And then knowing the age at which each of these manifests is important. Definitely. We had the ferroportin disease on our hematology board. So that was fair game. Um, and so it should be, you know, probably fair game for when you guys take your boards this year. What about the African dietary iron overload? Tell me a little bit about that. So this is where you have high dietary iron and these traditional beverages due to excess iron, which is a leach from iron barrels. And it's known as Bantu syndrome. So just be aware of it. Exactly. I think that's a historical question. Um, I don't remember being asked about that, but I think it's it's an interesting tidbit, something that people will talk about on your hematology consults and you know, a good historical point of other places you can get iron that we're not truly suspecting. And so what about hyperferritinemia cataract syndrome? Tell me all about this. This is extremely rare. You basically have mutations in the iron responsive element segment of this gene called FTL which codes for the ferritin light chain component of the ferritin protein. And so patients may present with bilateral cataracts at a young age. And usually there's no other symptoms of iron overloading. And then what about transfusional iron overload? I think we've talked about this on a few episodes, but could you briefly touch on it? Yes. So one unit of blood contains 225 milligrams of iron. And so over two years, you know, you can get really significant iron overload if you're getting regular transfusions. And so when you get to over 20 units or the iron in the liver is over 180, you definitely need to start considering iron chelation. Right. And so I know we talked about phlebotomy for treatment and you just briefly touched on iron chelation. So what are the forms of iron chelation that we can utilize in iron overload? Yes. So I feel like we have a lot of questions on iron chelation as well as the side effects of these iron chelators. And we did cover some of them briefly in our sickle cell and thalassemia episodes. They're not commonly used in hereditary hemochromatosis, but it's important to know in other iron overload syndromes. 
So you have desferoxamine, which is a sub-Q medication. It's given usually at 40 to 50 milligrams per kilograms per day. And it's given over nine to 12 hours, uh, five days a week. Um, and the side effects of this are eye, ear, and pulmonary toxicity. Then you have defarasterox, which is oral. Um, it either is called X-Jade in a powder form or Jadinu in a tab form. And it can increase your LFTs, have GI side effects, and it's contraindicated in a, in a creatinine clearance under 40. And then finally, you have defaraprone, which is oral but three times a day. And one of the buzzwords for this in terms of toxicity is agranulocytosis. I think that all of those um, chelators and their side effects are fair game. We definitely had many questions on how they're given, how frequently they're given, and then also the adverse events to what to look out for. So definitely commit those to memory. What monitoring do we need to do while we're taking iron chelation? So we need to monitor CBC, CMP, depending on the drug audio. Audiometry, eye exams, uh, check serum ferritins every three months. You should avoid phenothiazines and then you should avoid vitamin C as it can mobilize iron. And then you really need to monitor the dose carefully. Great. And lastly, what other conditions do we need to know about when we're talking about iron overload syndromes? So I won't really cover these because they're not really heavily tested, but just be aware that these conditions exist. So there are a few other conditions that are called congenital atransferinemia, acerioloplasmanemia, neuroferritinopathy, and then haloverdin spatz disease. Those are all very hard to say, and I'm really impressed with your pronunciation. Um, yeah. I agree. They're not high yield for your test, um, but they do exist. And so it's good to be cognizant of some rare things since it could come up in consults. Um, so this was an awesome episode talking about all the iron overload conditions, how we diagnose them, treat them. And so what are our key takeaways? So make sure you know the common mutations in hereditary hemochromatosis. So that's C2Y2Y, a homozygous mutation, and know that you have to consider phlebotomy and you want to get to a gold ferritin under 50. And then if someone has abnormal LFTs or ferritin over a thousand, consider a liver biopsy. Know that those with incomplete C2A2Y penetrants have less organ damage. Those with H63D mutations have very little iron overloading compared to the C2A2Y. And then know the age cutoffs for other less common conditions like the transfer in TRF2, which develops usually in their 30s. And then the juvenile forms, which are mutations in HJV or hemojuvalin or HAMP, HAMP, where patients present under the age of 30. And then know about ferroportin disease, which is autosomal dominant, and you'll have a low transfer and saturation and a high hepcidin. And then make sure you know about iron chelators as well as their monitoring and side effects. Awesome. So I think you covered all of the high points for this topic. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Good luck with studying for your boards. Please feel free to reach out to us with any concerns, corrections, comments, or next subjects you guys would like us to cover on our Instagram or our Twitter, 2OnkDocs. And if you're enjoying these episodes, please feel free to leave us a review on our Apple podcast. Have a great week.